2: Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech.
3: The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of Webmaster Radio.fm is prohibited. All rise.
0: Good morning and welcome all. Um, please be seated. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center broadcasting live from Santa Monica after an eventful trip through Baltimore, D.C. and San Francisco for Ad Tech. Um, before we ge- begin, I want to make a few shout-outs to some of the people uh, I met along the way. Um, Julie Coons of the Electronic Retailing Association. It was great meeting you in D.C. Um, I also want to thank the team at Adtech tech for the excellent VIP tour yesterday, um, and i also like to thank the team at Harrow, which is a, help a reporter out who helped book um, all of today's guests. So um, thank you to all of you, and um, today is a very significant day. It, it is the feast day of St. Isidore of Seville, who apparently is the patron saint of the internet. Um, Why someone from 600 A.D. is the patron saint in the internet beats me. But I guess that's a religious mystery, maybe. Um, And of course, um, today is the the 44th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Dr. King had had a dream that one day all of us would be judged by the content of our character, and we've certainly come a long way um, since 1968, but as recent events shown, we haven't. Um, we still have ways to go. But um, so I want to thank all of you um, for joining us. Uh, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about crowdfunding in light of the pa- um, the passage of the Jobs Act. Um, it's going to the president's um, for signature. Um, don't know what the date when they'll be signing, but. Um, the JOBS Act has enabled um, crowdfunding or sometimes called crowdsourcing. And so today's show, we're going to have um, three experts talk about um, it from their own different perspectives. And we're going to lead off with Ryan Call- um, Callback. <laughs> Sorry, um, And Ryan has been involved in this for uh, some while. He, um, he's an entrepreneur and he's the founder and CEO of CircleUp. Um, which is um, a venture firm in um, Northern California. And um, Ryan also has a claim to fame for being a member of the 2001 Duke National Championship um, basketball team. And um, Ryan, are you with us? I uh, am, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. Um, Ryan, um, just for us to start with the beginning um, crowdfunding or crowdsourcing, what exactly does that mean?
1: Crowdfunding, uh, in kind of very simple language, is pooling together a bunch of different people to accomplish a goal. And that goal can be anything from donating money to a charity, uh, to lending money to an individual, or investing equity into a for-profit company. There's a lot of different takes on crowdfunding, but the basic premise is pooling together people to contribute resources to accomplish a goal.
0: Now, you, you, your company, you've worked at um, trying to achieve crowdfunding in, in some way already. Is that correct?
1: That's right. We, um, we launched our company, CircleUp, which is a online equity-based crowdfunding platform, uh, in October. Um, we've uh, raised money to build that site, uh, and now we're launching the site in about two weeks. Um, so we haven't been live yet, uh, but we're launching soon.
0: And, um, and so, in looking at, at it, um, could you, do, do you need the new JOBS Act in order to in- initiate crowdfunding?
1: It's a really good question. Uh, we don't. Um, and, and this is a common misnomer. The, the JOBS Act will do several different things for small private businesses um, of various sizes. But the, the most relevant for crowdfunding is that it allows unaccredited investors to invest through platforms like ours. Our model mm-hmm. has always been focused on uh, accredited investors and allowing wow. them to invest in private companies through our online portal, CircleUp.
0: And a- accredited investors is a significant term when it comes to raising capital because um, you know, there are certain types of transactions um, for non-registered, comp- non-publicly com- traded companies that don't require registration with the SEC, and, um, and one of them is, you know, private um, transactions with accredited investors. And so, whether or not it's an accredited investor is an important point. And an accredited investor doesn't mean <laughs> that they've uh, they've got had certain um, CLE credits for um, investment, but it, it means that they meet certain criteria. Um, which generally for a person means income exceeding $200,000 um, in each of the two most recent years or joint income with a spouse exceeding 300000 for those years and a reasonable expectation of the same income level in the current year or um, a person who has net worth um, that exceeds a million. excluding That's right. the a million, dollar million dollars in assets excluding the home. That's exactly and right. That. Um, so then when, when, they, when they lose all the money, they have something left, right? <laughs> <laughs> but just kidding. Um, so that, and so that's who you focus on, those, those people who already are accredited investors. And so a, a transaction with them would be you know, entirely permissible under the um, securities laws as they are as of today.
1: That's, that's right. Yeah, the, the exemption that you referenced is Regulation D, Rule 506. And that focuses on allowing unaccredited investors to make these types of investments. It's actually a model that's been around for some time and has, uh, I think most notably back in 2000 and 2001, a company called Off-Road Capital uh, built scale uh, and was was very successful for about nine months. Uh, they did about $75 million worth of deal flow in nine months. But the problem is it built up a staff of 150 people. Like any other Internet company, they built as quickly as they could. Uh, and when the downturn happened, they had a staff of 150 people, and uh, they couldn't support it.
0: What the, the big difference for crowdfunding has been uh, with the JOBS Act is that it now allows fundraising uh, with non-accredited investors.
1: That's exactly right. Um, you know, and we've got, uh, I think we are, as a, as a company, excited to start with accredited investors under the, under the existing Reg D exemption. When the rulemaking period is over, um, and it's, it's important that people understand, the president signing the Jobs Act into law tomorrow, but there will still be a 270-day SEC rulemaking period. So when that's over in you know, January of 2013, we'll reevaluate whether or not it makes sense to allow unaccredited investors. I think we have uh, we are hopeful that the SEC puts into place the appropriate restrictions to protect the investors and the companies, um, you know, so that unaccredited investors
0: are are, are protected. With um, the Jobs Act, though, um, you can raise um, was it one or two million through. Unaccredited investors?
1: Through unaccredited investors, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but under the current exemption, uh, yeah. there, or sorry, under Regulation D Rule 506, there is no limit to how much
0: you can raise. So um, is there how much of a demand is there to raise money with unaccredited investors?
1: You know, it depends okay. who you ask. Um, there are a lot of sites out there that uh, are claiming uh that they've got uh millions of dollars already committed from unaccredited investors to be invested. Um, there are some third party research firms that have quoted numbers from the hundreds of millions to the billions to be invested. Um, I think there's no there's no one that knows for sure. Uh this is a industry that's starting now. Um, but I think you know one way we think about this is by looking at the offline world. And there are a couple important stats to understand. Uh, One is only 5% of accredited investors make seed stage investments. And our fundamental belief is that it's not because the others don't want to. It's because it's very difficult to network into those deals and to make private Mm -hmm. investments. So these platforms, um... whether it's ours or others, allow that for both accredited and unaccredited investors to do that more easily. I think the other important stat to, to reference is there's about 25 to 50 billion dollars worth of uh, worth of money invested into small private seed stage businesses each year by individuals that are not angels. So angel investment is about 20 billion, VC investment is about 25 billion, but informal investors uh, contribute uh, or invest 25 to 50 billion, and so when you start thinking about would you rather do that offline and meet with the investors over and over again or put your deal online? And we, we believe it's just a, it's an easier process, a more efficient process to do it online.
0: Um, in in essence, you're, you're introducing the efficiency of the Internet and the scale it can bring. It, it's exactly right. When you
1: look at When you look at other industries, there aren't many industries that have not been disrupted by the Internet. Uh, venture <laughs> capital and angel investing is one of the last remaining ones um, that has not been disrupted.
0: And so, um, what is your view of the bill? Because at some points it got controversial. You know, there are some people who thought it was uh, controversial to the extent that it um, was modifying certain um, provisions put in place after Enron and after dot com crash um, that were designed to kind of prevent fraud. Um. Yep, I, I think I think
1: what's going to come out of the SEC is going to be really important. Um, you're absolutely right. Fraud is a is a real concern. Um, you know, our view is that uh, transparency in the marketplace will be the best limitation to fraud. Um, and creating that transparency and demanding that transparency from the portals themselves is something that I think the SEC should really focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another important thing that uh, needs to come out of this uh, rulemaking period is that the portals themselves should be registered as broker-dealers. They need to go through that process. Um, Fundamentally, a site is selling a security. Just like in the offline world, they should be required to register with FINRA and be a broker-dealer. We believe that strongly. Um, That helps protect the investor because now the person running the platform has demonstrated they understand what this means. They understand... How to uh, uh,
0: how to sell security? Um, and so we have, yeah, we, we think, as in general, amended, the sorry, bill requires ahead. the platform to be SEC approved, right? Can you say that one more time? As amended, the bill requires the the platform to be approved by the SEC.
1: It does. The language is a little bit funky, um, and there's there's kind of been the implication that uh, the new or that a another governing body will will uh, spring up in place of Finra. To, uh, to register these, um, but we, we think we think there needs to be stringent guidelines and that there needs to be registration of these platforms. The last thing I think we want is having an individual uh, throw up a website, quickly raise money for a company, and then shut the website down. That's, you know, that that will, will only promote fraud.
0: And um, plane ticket sales to places like uh, <laughs> um, where there are no extradition treaties, but yes um i don't think that's the, what we're trying to encourage um and what about what else do you see in the bill in terms of it, it liberalizing or you know alleviating some of the regulations that were we'll put in place say for example in, after sarbanes-oxley
1: yeah the the ipo on ramp which is is title 1 in the uh, in the bill you know it's it's uh it's probably the piece of the bill that's least relevant to Circle Up in our crowdfunding platform, um, but we're very kind of cognizant of what it does. Uh, we yeah. have mixed feelings about, about the approach that they took there. I mean, qualifying a, uh, a company with you know, essentially $999 million in revenue as a small company it seems odd to me. Um, we like right. the concept of allowing companies to go public more easily, um, but not requiring an audit for five years. Uh, Seemed odd at that end of the spectrum, um, you know. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful um, that that will get worked out in a more appropriate way. Um,
0: yeah, so that's what I would say. Um, so in terms, of what would what would this mean for your business? Because Brandon, you're you're just dealing with accredited investors, but you know, don't will this the, the key part I see about this bill being that it means um, individual investors will become more aware of their op- op- the, the opportunity to invest in non-publicly traded companies through this platform. Uh, that's you exactly. You right. think this will that's create exactly right. kind of a surge in um, you know people mm-hmm. who want to you know, take a little risk and be entrepreneurial and participate in the market in a way that they haven't been able to? Yeah,
1: you know, I think the. The press in and around this bill will be helpful for crowdfunding. Whether or not we always, whether for circle up, whether or not we always focus on accredited investors and, and or open it up beyond that, um, yeah. You know, there's national articles written every single day about the space right now, and, and the individual investor is beginning to become educated on the possibilities of diversifying their portfolio beyond just investing in the S and P 500 through E-Trade. Right now, they can use these other platforms to allocate a very small portion. Of their investable assets into private companies, um, you know that's what professional money managers would do, and now individuals have the opportunity to do that as well. You know that's ex- I think that's exciting. I think the portals need to do a good job of educating the investors in, on uh, you know how to do that and kind of the appropriate level uh, to invest. Um, in terms of the answer to your question directly on how it impacts CircleUp, um, you know we're excited about the opportunity to help more investors. Find the businesses they love through the opening of General Soul Station. One of the uh, pieces of the bill is it essentially uh, does away with General Soul Station. Today, if you went to our site, um, you know you would find it's a password protected site; it's invitation only. Um, if General Soul Station went away, we could put the deals that we're raising money for on the front page. We could also advertise those uh, those opportunities. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. We've you know, we've got a uh, food company that we're launching with on April eighteenth. That food company on their packaging could begin to put, if you love our bar, if you love our product, invest in us through Circle Up. Right? right. Um, and that's that's something that helps the companies and helps us. Um, so when the SEC rulemaking period is over, that's something we would explore. Um you know, but I think fundamentally the, the crowdfunding provisions are interesting, but we know that the SEC rulemaking period will be a critical determinant of how the market will evolve. Um, we're launching now. We'll just continue to reevaluate it as the SEC uh, rulemaking
0: period, you know, goes through. It's um, it's an interesting issue because I actually, you know, just finishing putting the final touches on a, um, a website for a client. So they can have you know invitation only solicitation, and um, and they because uh, you know, there's all those restrictions on what you can do, and you know definitely having this be another commodity that you're able to openly trade and has some benefit. Um, it's exciting, yeah. That's that's definitely right. Um, you know, we're
1: we are really excited about the opportunity to allow investors to participate in the private markets. You know, I think they've. there are some sites out there that have allowed to do that with much larger companies. You know, you can buy a stock in Facebook and, and Twitter. Um, you know, but, but allowing people access to small-cap private companies, um, you know, we think will be really interesting to a lot of investors.
0: We're going to take a short break, um, and when we come back, um, we'll talk more about crowdfunding. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber
3: Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries into the 16th Annual International Web Award Competition. Independent judges from around the world recognize the best websites from nearly 100 industries. Web Awards winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Awards site. You can't win if you don't enter. Sign up now at www.webaward.org.
0: As you know, being an expert at f-
2: <gasps> What did she say?
0: ...requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f-
1: Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for
3: eBrands. Podcasting at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm, the flamethrower. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
0: And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, and we're talking today about crowdfunding. And um, it is a very hot topic. And it's basically applying uh, a model along the lines of what we talked about um, several shows ago when, with Kickstarter which has been a very successful um, crowd, crowdsourcing or crowdfunding vehicle, um, but uh, albeit at somewhat on a charitable basis. Um, you may recall we had Ron Burnamon talking about her CD um, that she was able to get funding for through Kickstarter. But um, what we're talking about here with the JOBS Act is really taking the Kickstarter model um, and um, you know, combining more or less you take Ryan's model of a um working with accredited investors and you take Kickstarter's model of working with all comers and on a, a large platform that's you know very visible for all to peruse and um see what opportunities are available and that's somewhat of the world we're moving into and um with us on the show today we have uh, another guest is Dan Abrams who is a um a comedy and comedy writer and film tv producer who actually is using kickstarter um to um fund his current film project which is a comedy about the financial crisis dan are you with us Uh, i am um thank you for agreeing to be on the show um why don't you start by telling us about the movie and uh and when where do you find the humor about the financial crisis
2: well that's uh, I mean it's everywhere in the financial crisis because the financial crisis is uh such a circus. Um yeah, it's it's a very silly comedy about the financial crisis. It's a mockumentary. We have um a lot of really great actors from the Second City and um we have a Tony award winner and uh just a, a great director from the Second City and uh yeah, it's our very uh, silly movie.
0: Um as as all as so many good ones are um, so you you're approaching this through kickstarter yes and uh you raised um you know, a substantial portion already how much more do you have to raise
2: uh we're about halfway there so we uh, we need to raise another we're raising 50,000 and we've raised about um uh 26 so far
0: and um, and so what is your interest in the um the Jobs Act, um is it because you can right now you can't give equity?
2: Yeah, I think that's um that's uh something where we, we had our movie featured on CNBC.com, and I immediately got a whole bunch of messages from um people who some of whom pledged on Kickstarter but asking about can you sell equity through Kickstarter, what are the points and so forth on Kickstarter? and it's something that in europe uh filmmakers are already experimenting with this and it's you know whatever there is to get a movie made uh, means there'll be more movies and and how often did that come up well, I'm sorry how often did this the the issue of equity come up uh it, it's come up um three times now it's just sometimes from just random people who just found us once when we were featured on um boingboing.net, and then once when we were featured on um, CNBC, and, and and maybe 10 or 20 people have asked us about it.
0: If you were able to do an offer equity, yes. um, you, you'd be able to wrap up the, the fundraising much quicker, right?
2: I think we would have already. I mean, I think we have um, a number of investors who we're talking about putting a lot in, and we've also had a lot of investors who are happy to give us $10 to get a digital download of the movie, but um, may have given us 100 or 200 or $300. Um, because I think people, when they meet us, think this is going to be a movie that's a hit. Um, they think we're going to have a profitable movie on our hands in a year when we're finished. And
0: they want to be participate in the profits.
2: Yeah, and they, they want to participate in that process. Um, uh, and, it's, and it's an issue, and this is always an issue in... In in financing a movie, because uh, you know you can only really go to accredited investors, and and you're often getting a lot of um, a lot of uh, investors at a smaller level. You know, maybe you get an accredited investor for twenty five hundred or for five thousand um, dollars. And I think for movies in particular, this is a real boon. Is all I can say.
0: Now, um, Ryan, have you dealt with any? These type of projects, like a film project um, or any you know kind of artistic project, um, to in in your context dealing strictly with accredited investors.
1: Yeah, um, we haven't dealt with any um, film or uh, or art projects either. We we focus on. Cons- Consumer products for now. So our initial launch on April eighteenth will be focused on you know the types of products you can buy off a shelf at Target or or a, a sure. store. Um, but over time, we will offer other industries, and, and film would definitely be one uh, we'd look at.
0: Is this? I mean, it seems like a film project. You know, it seems well suited for a, a crowd platform. Um, um,
2: it's actually the the most uh, used. Uh, for Kickstarter, the most common uh type of project is a film project, I believe. And do you have any
0: idea what damn what the success rate is on Kickstarter for, for getting um, you know,
2: meeting the target? I mean it, it depends. It's something like forty five or fifty percent right now. Um, there is a huge percentage, over ninety percent that reach thirty percent of their target actually end up being successful. Um uh, but it's you know a lot of short films that use it instead of feature films. We're doing a feature film, and it's the sort of thing where it's much cheaper to make a short film. So, you know, Kickstarter is great for raising five thousand, ten thousand dollars. But when you start talking about the numbers that we need for a feature film, um, it gets much harder, and you really need to have something appealing. And so, uh, how much? I mean, how much are you trying to raise still? Well, we're trying to raise on the Kickstarter side. Uh, another another twenty five thousand, basically, um, and that'll get to cover you. How much of your your cost? I mean, that'll that'll allow us to shoot the movie and get it in the can. We have some uh, international stars, which will help us get international distribution deals, uh, which will be enough mo- money to uh, finish the movie. Um, you know, because it's a mockumentary, it's a relatively cheap film, which is why we decided to experiment with Kickstarter rather than going our usual route and uh, finding investors
0: you know, how how did you make that decision though to to go kickstarter what what was driving it
2: uh it was a combination of things um part of it was that we had seen a lot of our friends were doing kickstarter projects and they kind of raved about it because it uh for, especially for smaller projects it means that they can do projects that otherwise just simply wouldn't exist otherwise um the other thing was, uh, I was working with uh, somebody who was talking about disruptive business models and so forth, and I thought, uh, and he was kind of the inspiration for the movie, and so uh, I thought that it would be sacrilegious if I didn't at least try this sort of disruptive way of getting a movie made.
0: That's interesting, and then disruptive seems to be the term,
2: the term de jour today. Um. I mean, I think this is very disruptive. It really, you know, where the stranglehold in the movie industry comes from where there's sort of monopolization uh, comes somewhat from financing awful also and then from distribution from, uh, you know, the studios that there's only a handful of them that distribute most of the major movies that you see. And, um, you know, I think that those sort of monopolization of those strangleholds are getting uh, sort of wiped out in this internet age.
0: Now, now Ryan, I, you know, we talk about disruptive technologies and anytime you introduce a disruptive technology, there's always some people who are naysayers and just you know either don't see it coming or don't want to acknowledge it's there, and then they get left left in the backwater. And uh, you know, in you're in a relatively conservative um, you know profession, and uh, in terms of you know traditions and heavily regulated by the SEC. And um, what has been the reaction by some of the you know, the more um, Established people in, in, this, you know, in this area, um, how, how open have they been to crowdfunding?
1: It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a really interesting question. Uh, both sides. Um, so the people that understand the types of businesses that were set out to help, the consumer and retail businesses that have historically struggled to raise money from traditional institutional investors, but they're still great companies, the people that understand that market have been blown away by what we're doing. In fact, much of the money that we've raised to build Circle Up has come, has come from individuals uh, that are in and around that, that investing space, whether the private equity, uh, investment professionals, or uh, investment bankers, or just entrepreneurs. The flip side of that, though, uh, are the, the folks um, that tend to look for the next Facebook or Twitter. Um, and especially here in San Francisco, we've had some tech angels that just, haven't gotten it, and I think it was summed up really well by one tech angel here in town who said, I don't need this platform. I get approached every day by 50 different companies, and those companies can raise money in three months. There's no one that I know that would use this platform. And he fundamentally did not believe that there are people out there in the country that would, one, invest in private companies, that didn't have access to those deals, or two, there were companies that were great companies that still couldn't raise money through existing channels. And as much as I tried to explain to him, you know, the average guy in Ohio doesn't have access to the next Twitter, or the average food company in Vermont struggles to get on the radar screen of private equity firms around the country. He wouldn't believe it. So we had both. We've, we've gotten both reactions.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So the. Um in some ways, the, the gentleman that you're, you're talking about, or gentleman, um, is elevating the importance of his, his role in the process, and less so much as the opportunities role. That's right. I mean, I think, I think the,
1: the, the people that are usually most afraid of what we're doing uh, tend to have an economic interest in keeping the uh, the, the capital markets... Uh, run in the same way they're run today. And those tend to be, um, you know, folks that kind of have a corner on their particular uh, market. So, you know, the tech angel groups, uh, you know, people that make a fee by introducing small companies to individual investors, um, you know, they've got an incentive to not uh, be excited about this platform and what what it can do for both companies and investors. Um, yeah I don't want to put that as a blanket statement because there are folks out there that uh, that still see the power and, and get excited to figure out ways to work with platforms like ours. but by and large, those are the types of, of backgrounds that have not been as excited about it
0: yeah I, I can understand why <laughs> yeah and um it's it's just interesting to see particularly you're hearing this about um the you know um tech angels. Who you know? They were the last crowd, you know, um, disruptors. So they should—they of all people should have an appreciation for it, but apparently they don't.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, uh, in my view, if you're a if you're an engineer in Silicon Valley and you can't raise money, that's a problem. Uh, that that usually means you should look for another idea to start. It's just if you're graduating from Stanford uh, Engineering School and you're struggling to raise money, it just, it's not a good sign. It's a very efficient market. What's that?
0: You mean I'm supposed to graduate? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: my, my point in saying that is it's a very efficient market already because the angels have been doing it in that particular industry for decades. Um, you know, there, there aren't a lot of successful tech companies that didn't receive angel funding uh, from the same group of angels uh, you know, twenty years ago, right? And, and so, you know, I think that's already an efficient market, and it's sometimes in in an efficient market, it's very difficult to dis- to see the disruption. You, you start talking about, um, you know, business leaders like Clayton Christensen and the Innovator's Dilemma, who's the father of the concept of, of disruptive innovation, and you know, I think the way he would talk about this is similar. Um, I think I think what uh, what that model says is. When you have an established market and there is a lower-cost product that uh, is sometimes a little bit less sexy, but it opens up the market to a much broader uh, group of consumers, that is the disruption that is often overlooked by the people at the high end of the market. So the tech angels are looking for the next Twitter. They don't realize there's hundreds of other companies that could be the next vitamin water, or could be the next uh, small food business that is still a very successful business but won't be selling for $100 billion.
0: Right. You of know, it's, every, it's, all of us slap ourselves in the head every time we drive you know, we, we, on the supermarket, every time we go buy vitamin water or even bottled water.
2: Um, yep. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. interesting that you would bring up uh, the book, The Innovator's Dilemma, because that's one book we read while we were getting ready to launch our project, and we sort of have thought of this as a an experiment in making a, a movie, the Innovators Dilemma way a little bit. You know, it's our first was in the water sort of way of doing it.
0: Damn! Why don't you come do your do a plug for your movie? Tell us sure um, what, what name of it and where you can find it on, on Kickstarter. Uh,
2: the movie's called Fo- False Profit. Uh, profit P R O F I T, as in financial profit. Um, uh, you, if you go to falseprofitthemovie.com, dot com, all one word, it'll take you straight to our Kickstarter page. You can see our uh, our trailer. You can see some of who our cast and crew are. Um, we're going to be making some exciting cast announcements this week. Uh, so just falseprophetthemovie.com. You heard it here. And, and Ryan, you have a book, correct? Uh, you know, we've, we've uh, published
1: several articles, but not a book, no. Several, okay. several articles 100%. that are around the, uh, the space. But I think you know, the, the thing that I would just like people to do is, is take a look at circleup.com. And uh, we're yeah. launching on April 18th, and, and uh, it will be invitation only in the beginning, but you can sign up on a waiting
0: list. So That is fast approaching.
3: <laughs> it is.
0: Yeah, I imagine you got a frenetic couple of weeks. Um, I, I want to thank you guys for, for coming on. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little more about the legal aspects of the bill and um, some of the um, decisions that were made um, by the Senate in amending it and um, pushing it to final passage. Um, we'll be back after these messages. This is um, Cyber Law and Business Report on WebmasterRadio.fm.
3: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com And now, spanning the globe to give you the most in-depth coverage of events that I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO
0: to 21691 for Moby Mantis.
3: In 500 yards, CPA Way will be on your right. You have reached your destination. and honor is just ahead at CPAWay.com WebmasterRadio.fm Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm
0: and we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center um, getting you for the final segment here of, of Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, one brief update. You may recall uh, we had a show last year on the lawsuit that was filed by the bloggers, the um, Huffington Post bloggers against um, Huffington Post and Ariana Huffington um, claiming an entitlement to a share of the proceeds of from the sale of Huffington to a o l for some three hundred million dollars, and I believe the bloggers were seeking one third um we had Jonathan tosini on if you remember he was the lead plaintiff. The case eventually evolved into a class action lawsuit, and it was dismissed um last week um a judge more or less said that the parties um there was no unjust enrichment since the parties were very clear on what the bargain was um they understood that we were they were being paid for their writing and um and but in return they were getting the the wide platform and an exposure that huffington post makes av- available to them so that case is dismissed no where whether jonathan's going to appeal um you may recall he actually did take one prior case against new york times to the supreme court and won so i would be reluctant to say this is over but um huffington post has definitely won round 1 um so the last thing we want to cover in in this segment on crowd um, sourcing is, is the legal aspect, and um, you know, there were a number of issues that people had with the bill as it came out of the house. You know, the original version of the Jobs Act, and there was concern that it actually would encourage fraud, um, particularly in the fact that there was no requirements that um, of any audited financials, um, no requirements that financials be provided at all. Um, and there was actually no liability for making false um, representations to investors, and so there were some people who thought that went too far. Basically, that that was a major concern, and that you know the reason why the SEC has laws and limits things, um, for, differentiates between accredited and unaccredited investors, um, is because that you know the unaccredited investor pr- presumably um, it's an assumption um, is less sophisticated in financial matters and um, you know needs to be protected from you know more speculative ventures that that's kind of the underlying assumption of their current securities laws and so because of that um, you know here now opening this market for unaccredited investors but then removing um current existing legal requirements that protect accredited investors so that protect you know sophisticated investors and then to remove it and um when you're dealing with less sophisticated investors just didn't seem to make sense to me and so I, I think you know some of the criticism that was leveled at the bill it was quite appropriate and um the senate did change these provisions and um and to institute a requirement of, one, that um, there be auditive financial statements, which actually, you know, if you have no income, it's pretty <laughs> easy to do. And, you know, some of these are very early stage companies. And so, you know, just as long, but the point is, is that someone is vouching that this, um, I am a, an accountant, you know, a CPA, and I am vouching, and you know, willing to put my professional um, liability on the line and vouch for this so that, the consumer has some protection and knows, okay, I can invest in this company. I know it's making zero dollars and zero cents, but um, you know, I know there's no hidden, um, in, there's nothing funny in the balance sheet because it's been audited. Um, you know, that's an important issue. And um, in addition, there's a requirement um, for that the disclosures may be truthful and having liability for um, false. Um, Disclosures, which again I, I I did not understand the point of removing those protections now that we're moving into a realm of unaccredited investors. Um, it just didn't seem to make sense to me, um, and it, that was why um, the SEC actually was partly opposed to the bill because it as one um, a former chief accountant. Um, for the SEC, a woman named Lynn Turner, um, she stated that the bill won't create jobs, but it will simplify fraud. And so, I I think um, the changes made by the Senate were very important. Um, It would um, eliminate a requirement that imposed no liability for false disclosure, and also the House did not require any oversight of the funding platforms or the promoters. And um, we talked a little about the funding platforms, and um, but the a lot of times, you have who are out trying to draw attention to stocks, and um, if you don't regulate them, if they're allowed to make all sorts of representations that you know, about a stock that, that without having liability, again, it's a high. You know, we're talking um, people willing to invest money based on very limited information. Um, those are easy targets, and uh, so yes, there was concern this would be coming. Um, a major source of fraud. Now, w- one thing in terms of gauging how big this is, um, there's a company called Crowdfunder, which is just one of many on the sideline waiting to get into the space. Once it, you know, it's been the runway's been cleared for takeoff. Um, already, they have fifteen million dollars committed for um, a thousand different companies, um, and so. This, there could be quite a new source of capital brought to beer and made available um, for early-stage companies, which is very important. Um, so that's where we're heading now. Um, I'm not sure if our last guest is going to be available or not, unfortunately. It looks like um, we're having trouble getting her. Um, but um, she a, was a former um, attorney with the Securities and Exchange Commission but I, I guess there's um, she's not gonna be available. But in any event, um, so that is where we that's where we are now. And this bill has been passed. Um, the House agreed last week, actually just before the show, um, to uh, uh, agree to the Senate amendments. And so now the bill has been um, passed. It's sent to the president for his signature. There's No indication that he will not sign it. So all all indications are good on that front, and so we, we're going to see a new experiment. Um, this is somewhat of a, a, a definite. Um, I think the word disruptor has been used a lot today for a good reason. You know, it's is a new model um, that we haven't seen in um, the regulation of security since the nineteen twenty three crash. So um, this will be um, be fun. will be interesting to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. I think. I, th- I think you might see some companies you might not otherwise have seen because of this model, and I think you know that's there's high value to that. Um, so that's where we are, um, and um, so if you have any questions on the, on this issue, um, this is, you're going to see a flurry of, of, of articles and other reports on this. I'll actually I'm in the process of writing an article on crowdfunding and um so I will let you know when that is been ready um excuse me and so that's um it's I think what everyone said today is instructive I think we're seeing that there are some companies that can't get capital and granted they're not Facebook or Twitter but you know only a handful of companies are Facebook or Twitter and there's a lot of other companies out there that provide great value to us as consumers um, that simplify our lives you know, without being Facebook or Twitter. And, um, and so it would be interesting to see. You can't undo the past, but it would be interesting to see what companies might have survived, you know, say, the early stages of the dot-com era, had they had crowdfunding. That's um, an interesting concept. So um, this is definitely going to be something we'll be, we're going to be monitoring here at this show. And um, so... I want to thank all my guests for participating today. I'm sorry we weren't able to bring in the last one. One other issue I'd just like to highlight and um, is that the, um, there was a Supreme Court decision that has a lot of people um, really upset and concerned, and that is a um, decision that apparently gives, people, gives the police the right to strip search um, anyone for any offense. And this is a show about internet law, but I just have to say that um, you know that seems to be extreme. Um, I'll have, you know, I'll, I will um, discuss that at another show. But people have been asking me what I thought about it, and uh, I just wanted to just flag that um, we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Um, and it's you know obviously it is something that seems extreme, and um, but we'll talk about it at another show. So um, and obviously I think the court is going to be uh, very much in the news this spring um, with the decision expected in June on the health care bill. Um, also, we should have um, some arguments soon on some of the net neutrality cases. And uh, so be interesting to see where they're going to land on the, on this issue. But um, today is, as I started the show, today is the anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, and there's actually, um, and we mentioned also. The, um, the feast day and the, actually today is the day that um, St. Isidore Seville died um, but it is also the day we adopted our flag um, kind of a significant day in history and, uh, and um, equally important it is Robert Downey Jr.'s birthday so um, happy birthday to RDK um, I want to thank everyone for um, joining us today and um, I think this is going to be an interesting um, evolution of the market through crowdfunding. So we'll be key, this will be a good place to plug in and find out the latest on where we're going on crowdfunding. Um, as you can always come in and check out, see what the latest is on Internet Law here at Cyber Law and Business Report. And this is Bennett Kelly with Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. I want to thank you for joining us. And court is adjourned. We will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.